Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a recording of the Key Row Film Society, and I am Pastor Neil Wemus. Uh, today, we you heard the opening of the episode here, the podcast. You heard the recording of the theme from Justice League Unlimited. It was an animated series from a few years ago, back in the um, uh, 2004-ish or somewhere in there. And I decided to start with that because today is going to be a DC Comics-themed podcast. We're going to focus on four movies. That's right, four movies. And the reason is, is because, one, is that it's been quite a while since I've done a recording. I did my the Logan review uh, last week, but otherwise I haven't done anything since, I think like February or something like that. And so with it being such a long time, uh, I just, I'm going to do a little bit longer. And the reason, and the other reason, and one of the reasons is, first off, I'm going to look at a brand new movie, which is Wonder Woman, which is in theaters as we speak. And then the other one is for um, the Dark Knight trilogy. And that's where the three movies are going to come. And the reason is, is because I think the Dark Knight the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Return, Dark Knight Rises, and Batman Begins, I think, really need to be all reviewed together uh, because their quality is very much tied into one another. So, um, with all that in mind, we are going to begin. Uh, we're going to be looking at the, the new movie that just came out this last Friday, and that is the movie Wonder Woman. So, as we get started, here is the, tra the final trailer uh, for that movie. to a greater understanding. Right. What is your mission? Well, here's the thing. You are in more danger than you think. The boys in the trenches called her Dr. Poison. Millions would die. The war would never end. I'm going, Mother. If you choose to leave, you may never return. How will I be if I stay? We'll come. The war. Well, technically the war is that way, but we got to go this way first. How can a woman fight in this? Who is this young woman? She's my, um... And, um... Diana, Princess of the Prince, Diana Prince. believe that 
this horse to stop. Help me stop it right now. What are you? You will soon find out. All right, so that is the trailer for the new Wonder Woman movie that just came out on Friday. Um, I'm, as usual, when a movie is still in theaters, I um, try to limit how much I do in the review, how much I do in the analysis, as to not give anything away in the movie. But, nonetheless, here is uh, what I'm, a bit of a review. Um, the movie is... Wonder Woman is a major thing in terms of um, superhero films because it is the first major um, comic book film, superhero film to feature a female as the lead hero and so the star hero and so that makes it uh, groundbreaking in that sense and it's 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 really nice to see this in the last year we've seen it with um, Star Wars Rogue One, we've seen it with um over before that, you saw it with um, episode 7. You've been seeing this progression and slow growing of more female-centric films, um, especially in the superhero and the kind of the more nerd genre, which I kind of fall into. And it's kind of nice because it's, it's allowing girls, to see, little young girls, to grow up and watch and see that they could be heroes and that they could fight and they could stand up against things. And... With all that in mind, one of the things is is that the history of Wonder Woman is that she was created with very feminist in, um, intentions. And in the movie, those feminist worldviews come through. And if, it not only feminist, but I would say very secular um, worldview comes through. Now, one moment in the movie where this comes out, is towards the beginning of the okay. Towards the beginning of the movie, there's the scene where Diana and um, uh, Diana and Steve Trevor, who's played by Chris Pine, uh, are leaving the island. They're on a boat and they're talking about marriage. He goes, she asks, "What is marriage?" He says, "Marriage is where you go before a judge." And say that you love someone or whatever. And he, and then she says, does it work? And he says, not in my experience. There's two things that I see in that. One is this movie is being made, is definitely going to be viewed by a lot of young girls. And so they saw in the movie, they heard that quote, that line, that marriage doesn't work. Which means, for one, this movie is pushing an agenda that might be an anti-marriage agenda. And the fact that he talked about getting married in front of a judge as opposed to a pastor or inside of a church is also telling of the agenda. And here's the thing. I would not usually... This would not really affect the quality of the movie because generally I don't 
judge the quality of a movie based upon its worldview. Unless its worldview affects the quality of its writing. And in this case, it does. You're talking about this movie takes place in World War One, and during the period of World War One, and so this is 1918 at the latest. Now, if you do some data research, you look where did most people get married in England? Because this is a British soldier. Where did most English soldiers get married in 1918? They got married in a church. In fact. There's, it wasn't that long prior to this in history that in England you could only get married at the church. So, um, the fa- for him to talk about getting married in front of a judge like it's the common thing is bad writing. And a second moment, and the second part is to talk about the divorce. The divorce rate in England in 1918 was not that high. It was not high enough for somebody to say, oh, it must not work. No, that's not what the data would show. So you, when you're writing a, a period piece and you're writing the response of a character, the character should respond the way a person, in 19, a British soldier in 1918 would have responded to the question. But she didn't do that. The... The writers did not do that. Instead, they went with their political, whatever their agenda was, and made a response to the 21st century American. Or, Brit, what is that? It's bad. It's poor writing. And so this is something that came through a lot in early in the movie, is that there's a lot of moments that are pushing forward um, a secular feminist worldview. And so, and to the point that I think it gets in the way of storytelling. And the thing is, that's the thing is, when it comes to advancement of female superheroes, female characters, female lead roles, they need to stop pushing an agenda, their agendas. You don't see this with male heroes that often. Um, and, the, and the thing is, is, the way to make a good female character is... To just make a good character that happens to be female. Alright? Yeah, you do certain things and you write the character to respond and act the way a woman would. But ultimately, it's... um, You don't get into your issues. And the other thing is, is early in the the first half of the movie, you have a lot of scenes where... uh, Diana, Princess, you know, Wonder Woman, is in this, um, gets in this high horse moments. And there's even this little line where she's talking to this lady who's a secretary. And, and she asks her, like, so, oh, what do you do for, what do you, so what do you do? She says, well, he tells me to do this, and I go there and do that. And she says, well, where I'm from, that's called slavery. It's, and which I'm, my thought is, okay, you're talking about a Greek character. Greek characters understood slavery. Slavery is when you do work without being paid. It's not about when people telling you to do things. That's just called having a job. And so little girls are watching that and they're hearing that if they go to a job that where somebody tells them to do something that they shouldn't have to do it because that's slavery. No, that's just how the world works. So the worldview in the start of the movie 
when it's trying to force it's trying to force it down the throat and the first half of the movie is really weakening it now having said all that i don't think this was a bad movie when the movie in the moments when the movie would would just try to tell a good story was just trying to tell a story about Wonder Woman. It was good. It was, you know, great. The the there's a beach scene at the beginning of the movie. This battle scene. It is awesome. Um, you know, choreography, incredible. Um, CGI, just awesome, awesome, fun scene to watch. Good. Um, the guy that. Oh, I gotta look up this name here. Uh. Rupert Gregson Williams, the composer for this movie, just amazing soundtrack. Just all the way throughout the movie, he really, really makes this movie so much better. If you took that soundtrack out, I don't think the movie would be half as good. But the thing is, this is something that you're seeing with the DC the DC cinematic universe. Is you're seeing a very artistic approach to all the characters. Um They've only had, what, four movies so far. The two Supermans, Suicide Squad, and Suicide Squad's kind of a fringe movie. And then you have now Wonder Woman. And so just take the three big ones. Not, you know, leave your Suicide Squad on the sideline because it's kind of a fringe one. It's very artsy. Um, very much if a lot of these uh, picturesque, painting-esque um, shots throughout the movie. And you see this in Wonder Woman, you saw this in Superman, you saw this I mean, you saw this in Man of Steel, and you saw it in Batman v Superman, and they're continuing with this. And the music aids it. So this is this is it's a canvas. It's a they're trying to put together this beautiful mo painting in motion, this symphony. And they do a good job of it throughout the movie. They do they've been doing a good job of that. And what makes Wonder Woman stand out against the Superman movies is there is a good story. The character the um the action does not get in the way of telling a character story. And you know, if this is the way that they're gonna be going forward, the DC cin cinematic universe, I say DC is on a good trend. And as I was talking, and as I started at the beginning of this podcast, um, you know, I was talking about um, the effects of the effects of going into you know the political movements that they were making at the beginning of the movie. When they got away from it, the movie got like I said, the movie got really, really good. And I would say basically. From the first point they go into the battlefield, um, when they're going into the battlefield, there's a, when they're in no man's land, it's a scene that you'll get to. From that point on, the movie is excellent. And I think it's, you know, before that, I mean, up to that point, I would say the movie was a three-star movie. And I think the part after that would probably be pushing, pushing to a, you know, four, four and a half stars. So... The movie is of good quality. The worldview. I'm gonna kind of. I think I'm gonna go dig more into that. Maybe when it comes out on DVD. But just a basic review of the movie. I would say, I probably give it a three and a half stars. the The start of the movie hurts itself because it's trying to, you know, um, force through the the idea the worldview they have in the movie. 
I mean, you could carry a worldview through a story, and that's, that happens in movies all the time, but you don't force it. That's lazy writing. It's bad writing. If you have a good, a good worldview and you want it in your story, a good film writer will carry their worldview through without being so explicit and being so utterly annoying about it. All right? Seriously, these guys need to sit back and go watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That, I keep on saying this, but that is the model for how to do a good female character. Because Buffy, yes, it was a very feminist show and it came through, but it didn't. they didn't layer it on so thick. Not always. Sometimes they did. But for the most part, they didn't. What they instead did is they just made a character who was really good that happened to be female. That's what you need to do with Wonder Woman. That's what they eventually did as the movie progressed. Wonder Woman is a great... Honestly, right now, I think she is the strongest character in the DC Cinematic Universe. And I say this meaning that she is stronger than, the super, than Henry Cavill's Superman. And I'm not saying that Henry Cavill's a bad Superman, but he's not overly memorable yet. And maybe that's the writing. I'm not going to say that's on the actor, but I think maybe it might be to do with the writing. And Ben Affleck's Batman just has not had um, his own film. He has not had the focus to really develop to be that. But you're starting to see the starting stages. And part of me kind of hopes that they go with the Wonder Woman Batman romance that they had in the Justice League animated series. Uh, and I can kind of see they're teasing that. Um, maybe in these movies. So with all of that in mind, um, I'm going to go, like I said, I'm going to wait until it comes out on digital or DVD or whatever to give a fuller review of the movie, a fuller analysis. But I had to, I did bring in a little bit into the liberal feminist agenda in the film, which, I mean, I shouldn't be, I'm not surprised there's a feminist agenda. I just hated how thick they layered that in. And because, like I said, it affected his storytelling. And a lot of the comments, a lot of the things that happen just don't make sense. Because this rule is, because what you're supposed to be telling is a story about World War I that happens to feature this Amazonian woman who is super strength and all that stuff. I mean, you still have elements of the real world in it. That's what good storytelling does. If you want to not have elements of the real world, you need to do a completely different thing. You need to do modern story. You have to do some... You have to change up the location, the time period, things like that. But by picking World War I, using very historic events, very historic happenings, you, pigeon your, you put yourself into a place that you have to write good historic films. Um, and I should also note that this movie does have some uh, similarities to Captain America, First Avenger. You're going to notice it. Um, but I think that it was better than Captain America, First Avenger. Um, and the romance between uh, Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor felt very similar to the um, relationship between Steve Rogers and... Um, Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter the 
the thing is, is the one thing though is I I should mention this. This is one of the weak another weak point of Wonder Woman, is the relationship between Wonder Woman and, uh, um, you know Steve Trevor, is that the character, I feel like the relationship is very forced. Um, there is a point where he says to her, "I love you," and I did not like that because I don't know why he would love her. He really hasn't known her for that long. I got I totally get why Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers, you know, Captain America are in love. I mean, that was a great romance story. Very well put to, really well developed. That was a, very much the biggest strength one of the biggest strengths out of the Captain America film. But here and I'm sorry, but and I'm sorry. Wonder Woman invites this comparison because they definitely play moves, make some similar plays, and I think this is a weak point. So, like I said, the the movie is good. It just it has its weaknesses, but it's definitely it's more it's far better. It's more good than it is bad, and like and it is a good it's a step in the right direction. For the DC Cinematic Universe. So with all that in mind. We are going to move on. And we are going to do. We are going to move into the Dark Knight Trilogy. And so with that. I found a trailer. That hopefully does a decent job. Of uh, giving a preview. Of all three movies. In one shot. know just how alone you really are. What are you seeking? A seeking. The means to fight injustice to turn fear against those who prey on the fearful. <laughs> to conquer fear, you must become fear. To manipulate the fears in others, you must first master your own. Are you ready to begin? If you make yourself more than just a man, if you devote yourself to an ideal, and if they can't stop you,
where you live, long enough to see yourself become a villain. Alright, so there you go, a, a lengthy trailer that is encompassing all three of the Dark Knight trilogy movies, uh, directed by uh, Chris Nolan. Uh, <clears throat> the middle of middle film, regarded by many to be the best Batman movie ever made, possibly the best comic book movie ever made, and I'm going to get to whether or not I think that's accurate in a little bit, but... We're gonna go. We're gonna look first, just quality in terms of quality of all three movies. Uh, starting with Batman Begins. Uh, Batman Begins when it came out was, it was kind of an interesting little thing moment. Um, I was working at a move at at a movie theater when the movie came out, and at the time, the last Batman movie was Batman and Robin. If you saw Batman and Robin, you know it is possibly the worst superhero movie ever made. <coughs> I mean, it's got some stiff competition from uh, movies like Howard the Duck and uh, Superman 4 and Spider-Man 3, but it's really, really up there. In terms of awfulness and the campiness was off the charts and the ridiculous Mr. Freeze quotes was horrible. And so people didn't trust Batman, even though comic book movies at this point were making a revival. 
But it was the comic book movies that were reviving were not Batman. They weren't DC. It was Marvel. It was the X Men movies. It was the Spider Man movies. It was um, Daredevil, which you know wasn't great, but it was something. It was definitely not as bad as Batman and Robin. And so, given what had been going on in the cinema, the the comic book movies, people trusted the other studios, but Batman didn't garner the trust. And so, Batman Begins came out, and there's hardly anybody there. I mean, when a superhero movie comes out nowadays, theaters are filled to the brim. But I remember we had a midnight showing. We had ten people show up for the first showing of Batman Begins. Ten! And the reason is people didn't trust it. They did not know what to expect. The movie looked um, very different, but they just flat out didn't trust them. And so Batman Begins came out, and it was a surprise. It was a welcome surprise, and in retrospect, as I watched it, I think it was a lot better movie than people realized. It was smartly written. Um, some, you know... You didn't have the annoying Batman voice. I mean, he really... The way he sounded like Bat, the vo- the Batman voice, which we're going to talk about with Dark Knight. Dark Knight, Bat, the Batman voice is absolutely aggravating. In The Batman Begins, the same actor. It didn't have a problem. He actually had a good Batman voice. It wasn't a problem at all. It felt like he was Batman. It, it worked well. Some Somehow or another, in between those two movies, he's, he went off the you know, went really bad, and it got to be annoying. It actually took away from some of its scenes. But Batman Begins, it wasn't there. Um, I liked the whole, you know, establishing of Gotham as a character, and that is one of the things that um, I think kind of gets a little bit lost in the other two movies, is that Gotham in and itself, in the comic books, in the world, and they're getting this with the TV show called Gotham, is that Gotham City itself is a character in DC. I know that sounds weird, but it really is. It's it's a dark city. It's a it's a city you would never want to live in because it's so crime-ridden. So many bad things going on from the organized crime. I really love to see a movie that just full-on faces the organized crime reality in the dark in Gotham City. I really wish they would have just played out played that out in Batman Begins. But still, with that being said, I thought they did well with the Falcone storyline. Um Then you have, you know, you have the right Ra- Ra- al Ghul um being played by um Liam Neeson, who I think does, I think was a great choice uh, for Ra's al Ghul. Um, and then they have Cillian Murphy is playing as uh, Scarecrow. He, he's okay, but kind of forgettable. But for the most part, they did pretty okay with that. The thing is, is this... I mean, the movie did a lot of things good, but there's weak points all scattered throughout. Um... It does not... I don't think they dive deep enough into the Scarecrow character, especially given the fact that they bring him back twice. They bring him back in all... in the other two movies, and it shows they didn't really understand Scarecrow. I don't... And I, I think this is kind of a thing with um, 
Nolan in general is I don't know how well he actually understands the characters he's writing. Either he doesn't understand them or he doesn't care because he keeps on changing them up so much. And, um... And this comes out in the way that most of the characters are written. Most of the characters, to be honest, don't feel like their um, comic book counterparts. And here's the deal, that's actually of an issue. Because the thing is, is comic book movies are di similar, but they're also different um, from adaptations of books. Comic book adaptations, you're not so concerned about maintaining the plot, um, for the most part. Because uh, there, there's so many comic book stories out there, it's really hard to capture one of them. And so most like when you're doing a movie, you're going to embody a couple stories at once. Or you're going to create your own story because comic books are by nature ongoing. But the thing is that when you make an adaptation, you need to be faithful to the character. And... Faithfulness to the character comes in many ways. And I think this is important in any type of adaptation. Because it's going to help with the quality. And you have to realize that the reason why these characters have lasted as long as they are is because of who they are in the comics. And it's a little annoying when <coughs> um, these movies uh, change them up. Uh, an example... Uh, and so this is what, like, you know... Example of the effects of changing up characters. I'm going to go into the controversial direction. Is when you change up a character's race or their sex for no good reason. Um, an example is Tilda Swinton and uh, Doctor Strange. Tilda Swinton is a good actress. She really is, but she should not have been the ancient one. It's I mean, you've made an Asian character white. Why? Yeah, I know he's trying to avoid Asian stereotypes. Perhaps, all right. But still, why change it? You have a chance at having a major Asian character and you wipe it out. And so I did not like that. Another example that's coming up is this amazing, is the Spider-Man um, beginnings movie. Uh, they've done a recap. They cast it for the role of Mary Jane. I don't know if they changed this to make it so she's not Mary Jane. And rumor has it they did. Is they cast a girl who is mixed race. And which I thought would not be a big deal because everything I read was she's she's a good actress. And um, her what she's portrayed in other TV shows goes very, very much as a Mary Jane type character. Well, the thing, the moment that made me realize that her appearance does matter is when I was watching um, a trailer for Spider-Man Beginnings, there's this, they're check, he was, you see Peter Parker um, checking out this girl. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what character that's supposed to be. I completely forgot about the casting decision on Mary Jane. I did not recognize that that was Mary Jane. Because Mary Jane is iconic for her red hair. And to change it up, you actually lose one of her most identifying marks. 
it would be like making the Incredible Hulk no longer big and green, but skinny and orange. He, you wouldn't think that was the Incredible Hulk all of a sudden. It's actually a part of the character. It's part of identifying marks of that character. Um, that's what, you know, Xavier, Professor X, being bald in, in a wheelchair. Unless you're talking about early origin story, like what they did with X-Men First Class... He needs to look that way. Otherwise, nobody's going to recognize that that's Xavier. Okay? So this is, um, you know, when you're creating a comic book character, you gotta be, you got to ask who the character is and make the movie like the character. And so Batman is a character that one of the most famous, the biggest traits of Batman is his intelligence. He is very, he's a brilliant man. And, you know, you read this in the comics and the, the cartoons and the, the other adaptations, you find that this Bat, Bat, Batman is almost always ahead of everyone. He is so intelligent. For someone to be ahead of him is a rarity. And yet, in this movie, in Batman Begins, in Dark Knight, in Dark Knight Returns, Batman is never ahead of really anyone it seems the only time you really get the head of anyone is at the end when he um happens to do the whole thing where he sets the autopilot and he lives you know very rarely does he really get ahead of it a lot of times he comes off as clueless which is why comedy central was able to produce these really funny videos making fun of batman's intelligence you couldn't really get away with that in the early batman stuff because batman was never a dumb character. He was always intelligent. He was, a, he was basically a genius. And I mean, Batman is really supposed to be more like Sherlock Holmes. And Ra's al Ghul, who was in Batman Begins, is supposed to be his Moriarty. Supposed to be this um, battle of wits between two uh, great detectives between a great detective and a great mind. And so, or a great foil to his detectiveness. And Batman Begins, Stark does not carry that. Now I say that, and I, the reason I bring all this stuff up is not to say that um, the Dark, that Batman Begins is a bad movie. It isn't. It's actually a good movie. The problem is, is it's, I don't know if I could say that it is a good movie. Batman movie. It's a good movie, but not a good Batman movie. And the reason I say that is because it changes up so much from the characters. But it is a good movie, and I do like a return to the darker nature of Batman. Batman is a dark character. They didn't go into the... They did a good job of steering clear of the overly campy nature of... Um, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Um, I liked the realistic twist spin of it. Um, that you see why his suit is the way he is, why he has the cape that he does, where he gets all these things. I kind of like that. Uh, but I don't like the fact that Lucius Fox is the one that comes up with all of it. Again, um, the comics, Batman designs, creates most of the stuff he has. Um... So it was, you know, it's a good movie. Um, 
But like I said, it's not great as a Batman movie. And this leads... Dark Knight is kind of in the similar... Um, um, similar issue. Uh, the Dark Knight came out in 2008. Um, it's notable for being... Um, one of the la- the last full movie that Heath Ledger was in, uh, for which Heath Ledger got um, a posthumous Academy Award for supporting a- best supporting actor, and it's a movie <coughs> that has again it's it's very well written good 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 plot. And, you know, the Joker is great in it, and great use of music. Um, There's so many strengths in the movie, but again, Batman becomes even more clueless than he did before. And the the Batman voice becomes a problem. Um, Two-Face, a great villain of the comics, such a good story. I really feel like, I mean, granted, Aaron... Eckhart um, did really good with the role that he had. He did. This is, you know, the story that was written was good. I met. This is the complica- complexity with the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, as a movie in and of itself, it is a good movie. It's actually a very good movie. But as a comic book, an adaptation of Batman, it is not so strong. In the reason is is because it's not faithful to the characters and it does not play to the strengths of these characters. Two-Face is a great villain. He really is. And to have um, Two-Face, you know, relegated just to a few moments of the movie, when in reality he actually, the character of Two-Face is worthy of an entire movie to himself. Because the story of Two-Face is so tragic. I kind of... I would love to see what they did with... Like what they did with Batman the Animated Series. Where you saw Harvey Dent in the first movie. And you really get to like him. And you see him in the second movie. And then he should have been the villain of the last movie. And you would have been like... And when you see this... And have it like at the very end of Dark Knight or whatever. That he becomes the villain. I mean, that would be just heartbreaking because this is a guy you've learned to love and like. You know, love and care for as a character. And all of a sudden, things just go really bad when he loses his... And he... He becomes Two-Face. It's a good... It's a good story. But they didn't go there. They totally ditched the comic story. And this is... And the thing is, is... I mean, the thing is, Batman was able to redeem itself because Nolan and David S. Goyer were able to put together a good story in general. But the thing is, is they were making the same old problems that Batman and Robin were making to some to some of the same problems that they weren't paying attention to their source material. And again, fortunately, they had strengths elsewhere that they were able to shore up those weaknesses and keep it a good movie. Batman and Robin, I mean, you had in there Mr. Freeze, who within only a few recent years had, I mean, was part of an episode called Heart of Ice from Batman the Animated Series, which was, I mean, just an incredible um, episode. And if, if I'm not mistaken, 
I think he got, you know, won an Emmy or something like that. Here, I'm going to give me a moment here. I'm going to look this up. It's, yeah, it was, um, it won an Emmy for outstanding, outstanding writing in an animated program. I mean, it was such a well-written story. Such a, I mean, it showed how good of a character it is that Mr. Freeze is the villain that you, you're sorry for. I mean, you have that quote where, um, what does he say? He says, you know, yes, it would make, uh, let me, again, I gotta pull this up, I'm, I mean, listen to this. I know I'm kind of diverting a bit here to another movie, but... <sighs> where is it? Think of it, Batman. To no never again walk on a summer's day with a hot wind in your face and a warm hand to hold. Oh, yes, I'd kill for that. Or right after he... Uh, sees, you know, he, Batman sees the video of how Mr. Freeze um, came, became who he is. Uh, where does it say? Oh, I can't find it where he says, it would move, yes, it would move me to tears if I still had tears to shed. I mean, that is, you know, such a good story. And yet in Batman and Robin, they come up with this campy, awful, cartoonish Mr. Freeze. They had the ingredients for a great character and they didn't take it. Two-Face. So this comes back to why I bring this up. Two-Face is a similar situation. They have the ingredients for a great character and they don't play on it. And right now they're doing the same problem with Suicide Squad. They have the, great, the ingredients for a great character in Harley Quinn. And... Based on what I saw in the first film, I'm not confident that they're not they're cap that they're capitalizing on it. They have the material, but DC as a studio refuses to use it a lot of times. And you know, so that's just kind of my comments there on the Dark Knight. It's a, it's a great movie. It really is. Uh, Hans Zimmer's soundtrack just shines through it. Um. I mean, I say that, I don't mean it's like Wonder Woman's movie where it's just this really, um, you know, epic soundtrack. It's actually much more subtle a lot of times, but it works so good. And there's some, and it is, it's, it's a good screenplay. I love a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the, um, it's a good, it's well-directed. Um, you know, right down to the last scene, I love the whole um, closing sequence of shots. Like he's saying, you know, uh, okay, I gotta look up the Dark Knight quotes here. Um, in the Dark Knight, you have this, you know, the very end of the movie. This is uh, Commissioner Gordon speaking. I know I'm pausing a little bit here because... Um, there it is. Okay, it says, James Gordon, his son, says, Batman, Batman, why, why, he's, why is he running, Dad? Because we have to chase him. He didn't do anything wrong. Because he's the hero Gotham deserves. But not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. 
He is a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. And the music, you know, hits at the end. It's such a great close to the movie. And like I said, it's all together. It's a good movie. Again, not a good Batman movie. Good movie, not a good Batman movie. Um, Dark Knight Rises is a whole set of pro new set of problems, and the biggest problem with the Dark Knight Rises is it doesn't. It's like the movie had amnesia, and I think part of the reason is is that, uh, David Goyer was the only writer on Batman Begins. Um, him and Nolan were both tag teamed quite a bit in the Dark Knight. And I kind of get this feeling that Dark Knight Rises was complete was much more Nolan than it was Goyer. I could be wrong on that, but that's what my vibe is. And the thing is, is a lot of plot points that get developed in the first and to some degree the second movie are completely forgotten in the third. And the third movie does not... And I say this because I watched all three of them back to back to back um, tonight. And watching that movie, I could tell you that movie did not feel like the natural consequence of what was to come from The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight set up what should have been a great, unforgettable movie. But it failed because... It, Dark Knight Rises failed because it did not... It's almost as if they did not go back. And they should have gone back, watched the, first, the second movie, watched the first movie, and asked... What was this movie about? What, what did we do in this movie? And they should have made a natural continuation, and they didn't. The movie just did not fit the part at all. And, I mean, this is not to take away. There are some great things. Bane, very well acted by, uh, you know, by Hardy, uh, Tom Hardy. Uh, Anne Hathaway does a great cat, Selena Kyle, Catwoman. Uh... You know, they have this weird thing, random thing where um, Alfred just leaves, which doesn't really fit with his character. And the whole thing of Batman stopped fighting for seven or eight years or whatever it was doesn't make sense, um, given the character of Batman. Again, showing that he does not get the Batman character very well. Um, and actually, at the end of the movie, that he stops fighting. Doesn't make sense. Batman doesn't... Batman always fights. That's kind of the a made part of his character. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many good points in the movie, and honestly, The Dark Knight Rises. If it was the only Batman movie, it would have been okay. I think it would have been acceptable. If it was, um, if it was the only movie that had nothing to do with Batman, just happened to have some random new characters that they made up. It would have been an awesome movie. But because it's the conclusion of this trilogy, and it is a Batman movie, it's lackluster. And I think it is def I would definitely say it's the weakest of the trilogy. Um so as I kind of fast forward through my reviews of these three movies, I'd say Batman Begins, I'd say, is a three and a half star movie. Uh, Bat the Dark Knight, I would say, is a four star. No, I no Dark Knight, I'd say, is about four and a half or five stars. And then Dark Knight Rises, I'd say, is a three star movie. 
Now, I asked this question at the beginning. Is The Dark Knight still the best superhero movie ever made? And I would say most certain. I don't think it is anymore. I could think of, right now, at least two movies that are better. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, is a better movie. It's not as um, deep, but it's, it does everything well. It's actually got a pretty good story. Um, it's actually got some ide- ideology in it. It's not as strong as what Dark Knight has. Uh, but it's great at using music, great character development. But honestly, I think the best superhero movie ever made right now, so far, is Logan. Logan is... What makes Logan better than The Dark Knight is that Dark Knight is rooted in reality, yeah. But it doesn't forsake its characters. In fact, ironically, Logan ends up being the the movie where we see Wolverine finally be Wolverine. And that's why I think it's better than it's far better than The Dark Knight. It's from an artistic standpoint, from a writing standpoint, it, it is rooted in reality. If you pay attention to it, it is very well rooted. And such great character development. Um, I mean, it may not have a a villain performance on the level of the Joker, but it it more than makes up for it in everything else. So, with all that in mind, what about the ideology in the Dark Knight trilogy? So, I'm going to ask these questions. The question is, um, what ideas are presented in it? Batman Begins... And this is actually a theme throughout the Batman franchise, is the theme of fear. And the biggest one about this is, um, well actually there's two themes, fear and hope. I'd say that those are the two embodying themes in the entire franchise. And the first movie, Batman Begins, definitely has the fear thing. And to give you an idea as to how big it is, I, had to, I actually had to pull out a tally on my iPad to see this, because I've noticed this before. But in Batman Begins, some word that has a fear theme. So fear, afraid, scared, scary, nightmare, things like that. Words of that nature, I counted up, ended up appearing 44 times within a movie. Now, to have a movie a word repeat itself like that in some forms of literature... That happens all the time. But in movies, it doesn't happen often. But when you do that, that's intentional. And when you have, you know, your main villain is the Scarecrow. One of your main villains is the Scarecrow. The main plot of Ra's al Ghul, the League of Shadows, is to unleash a fear toxin into the air. Uh, Batman is a villain who feeds on the fear of criminals. And so there's a very strong overarching theme of fear. And... Uh, what fear leads us to do. I mean, Batman becomes Batman because of his own fear. The fear, his fear is what led to his parents, there's kind of played in a part in his, the death of his parents. Fear led to him, is the reason why he chose bats. Fear leads us to do any of a number of things, and that's what explores, is what fear does. Fear cripples us from doing the things that we should have done. It causes us to fail to act when we should. And 
you know, you kind of get that theme going through Batman Begins. Uh, the Dark Knight, you have another, and then, and actually, hold on, before I get to that, um, I want to look at a couple quotes here. Um, Rachel Dawes says this quote, she says, Deep down, you may still be the great kid you used to be, but it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. And I'm going to come back to that. I think that's that's one of those lines that's fitting into the um, larger story. And another line is, this is from Alfred, is quoting something that his father said. Why do we fall, sir? So that we can learn to pick ourselves up. Alright? Those are two themes that's fitting into the larger trilogy. And I'm going to come back to that when we get to the Dark Knight Rises. That should not be incidental. Okay? Dark Knight. The Dark Knight has... Um, is actually philosophically complicated. It's extremely nihilistic. Um, and David Goyer has said that he intentionally went with a very nihilistic approach. Um, the idea that everything is meaningless. I mean, your two main villains... Joker. Joker is a character that his theory is chaos. Chaos is a very nihilistic um, worldview. You have Two-Face, who is, um, goes by chance. Everything is meaningless. You're just going by the flip of the coin. You see the Joker burning the, the money. You see, um, you know, there's this very idea of everything is meaningless. There is no meaning to anything. And it, it you know, carries throughout the actually the entire trilogy. Uh, but the Dark Knight, I think it has that even more so than the other two. And what is, but what is interesting in the Dark Knight is the Dark Knight, I don't think this is intentional, giving its nihilistic approach. The Dark Knight carries some very strong Christology. You have this theme in the movie. This is something that's also in Wonder Woman. That man is evil. That there isn't goodness in man. Man, if you push a person just enough, and it may be, it is, and the thing is, when the common, it could be fear, or it could be, as Yoda says in episode one, Star Wars Episode One: fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, and you see this play out in the movie. So you have this uh, scene in the movie where the Joker sets up this scenario where there are two fairies in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the um, river, and one fairy is filled with criminals, murderers, thieves, the other one is filled with everyday folks like you and me. And both of them have, it's filled with explosives. Both of them have a trigger. But here's the thing. One trigger, your trigger, if you're on that boat of the normal people, your trigger is set to blow up the boat or the ferry filled with the criminals. And the Joker is giving us exactly one hour 
for them to decide to blow up the other boat or let the other ferry blow them up. Pretty frightening situation. And this fear leads people to become angry. Especially on the boat of the normal people. They're becoming angry at those criminals. Even though they're the ones, they are not the ones that are trying to kill them. But nonetheless, they're angry at them rather than the Joker. And they're almost becoming hateful. And they're getting to the point that they are wanting to kill this man. I mean, Batman has this whole philosophical, psychological debate with the Joker. But you as the audience know what's going on on that boat. And you realize that you already know the, the criminals. You already know their corrupt nation, nature. They're in orange jumpsuits. Their reason they're in that is because of their evilness, their wickedness. But here, the normal, everyday people, filled with people just like you and me, over 300 of them versus 100, uh, 300 of them decided that they should blow them up. 100 of them disagreed. And there's that one guy that's like, nobody wants to get their hands dirty. I'll do it. I'm going to do what you can't do. And he stands up and he's about to pull the trigger. Meanwhile, on the other boat, this big um, African-American guy. He's a guy that plays kind of a criminal guy in some other movies. He's usually the scary dude. And he comes in and he grabs that, very, that, that remote. He chucks it out the window. He shows more love and mercy towards regular people than the regular people are going to show to the criminal. And the thing is, what you see in this is that both of them are corrupted. And the whole thing is this is the Joker is trying to prove that people are corrupted. The rookie cop who works under Commissioner Gordon, he um she's a, she was afraid and desperate for money and she did horrible things. You have um Commissioner Gordon, his pride. Allow bad things to happen. You look through the movie all through it, character after character after character. It's corrupted, and that's the point. Man is, is, and that is, from a Christian standpoint, you're seeing in it that man is sinful. There is no one who does good, not even one. The psalmist says, and Paul quotes in Romans, no one does good. We are all born sinful. We're born children of wrath. And that's portrayed in this movie. And I'm not saying it's a Christian portrayal, but it's definitely there. And so you have the Joker kind of playing as the devil character. He is, do he is pulling all the strings. He's doing all the things to lead people to do the, the wrong thing. To do things that they shouldn't. Harvey Dent is supposed to be the angel of light. He is the white knight, but it turns out you eventually find out he is a false one because he is the one. He is one that the Joker pushed over the edge. And then you have Batman. Now, Bat now, this isn't perfect because Batman is definitely flawed. And it comes back to the fact that he's Bruce Wayne. And you see Bruce Wayne's weakness throughout it. But nonetheless, this they do play on this. But what ends up happening is at the end, if you've seen this, is Harvey Dent ends up dead. 
and Harvey Dent has committed these murders. And after he had done all these good things for the city and they realized that it's revealed what he did, bad, that all these criminals are going free. And the Joker says, I killed these men. Wait a minute, what? That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are... Harvey Dent, you are like every other person in this film. We all are. We're corrupted. We're broken. And this is, again, like I said, Wonder Woman carries this theme very strongly. But what I like about The Dark Knight better is that it better gives the answer. The answer to the fact that people are corrupted is sacrifice. It's love. Not that man actually has some good in them. No, the problem is that we don't have goodness in reality. The reality is, is we need somebody to sacrifice. And so that's what you get in the movie. You get the dark, you get Batman sacrificing himself, taking on the crimes of Two-Face, that Two-Face, that, that Harvey Dent may be seen righteous in the eyes of the world. That is the substitutionary atonement. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus, when he was on the cross, declared himself guilty, made himself guilty not of just one sin, not just of one person's sin, but of the sin of the entire world ever committed before, after. He made himself guilty. So that you may be righteous. The movie wonderfully portrays this, and I, I don't think it's intentionally doing it, but it does it. Then you have The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises is interesting because before the movie came out, uh, Rush Limbaugh, I remember this came out, Rush Limbaugh created a big fuss about this movie. And the reason is, it's because the main villain was Bane. Well, who was running for president at that time? Mitt Romney. He was running for president against President Obama. And Mitt Romney happens to own a company that's called Bain Capital. And so uh, Limbaugh got angry and said, oh, this is a liberal agenda in the movie trying to defame Mitt Romney. Well, but he doesn't understand. This is ignorance at its best. First, Bain was created by two Republicans. Two people who very likely voted for Mitt Romney. Back in the 90s. That's when he was created. Secondly, if you actually went and watched the movie, you would realize that Bain portrayed himself as representing the 98%. Batman was the rich guy taking down the this socialist agenda, or whatever. It actually, if you actually give the time to watch the movie, you realize that if anything, Mitt Romney could play off the idea that he's Batman, and that's the evil Bane National. Alright? So, and it's kind of interesting, they play this 98% versus the 2%, you know, type thing that they, you know, we've had this thing going on ever since you have the Occupy 
uh, movement back in whatever year it was, 2012 or whatever it was. And that kind of played out with in this movie. And you find that it's a member of the 2% that ends up being here. And in this movie, police officers are portrayed as heroic. I mean, yeah, there's some bad ones, but mostly they're portrayed well. Especially in a franchise that largely the police officers are corrupt. Um, which fits with the, dark, the Gotham City persona. The cops are corrupt. But in this movie, they very well portray police officers. And so this comes back to the overarching theme of the franchise, of the trilogy. And that theme is a theme of, of hope. And I think Dark Knight Rises embodies it all in the scenes where uh, Bruce, Batman, are in that prison. They're, he's in the bottom of that hole. He's got to climb his way out. He sees the sky. He sees hope. But in order to get there, he has to climb his way out. And that is, I think, kind of fe speaks of life. In our lives, we feel the sense of hopelessness. We see the sky. We, we have a glimpse. We have an idea of hope. We can imagine it, but it feels so far out of reach. And you, so you see in this movie, Batman serving as a symbol of hope. Because that's what Gotham was during the whole movie. And much of the movie, Gotham was a movie, the sh a city that began, it was in darkness. It was infested by corruption. And by the end, you see it pull itself out. To pull itself to a life of hope. And, and so that's kind of the overarching theme of this film, this trilogy, is the fear that comes from a broken down society. We fall. But why do we fall? That we may pick ourselves up. And sometimes when we fall, we feel like, you know, there's nothing we can do. And so, what do we do? We gotta do something. We fight. We stand up. Because it's not who we are underneath. It's what we do that defines us, right? It's a call to pick yourself up and be the one who makes a difference. Who stands up against the injustices, the tyrannies of this world. And that's the whole story of Batman. Is he's a human. I mean, yeah, he's a billionaire, but in the end of the movies, he's not really rich. He has nothing. And yet, when he has absolutely nothing, he's still fighting. And that's the point. Is we stand up and we fight. It may not be with our fists. It may not be wearing a Batman costume, and hopefully probably isn't for any of us. But it might be with our words. It might be in our vocations. We fight. And in our, in our courage, we give hope to one another. And that's the point of even if you are an artist, a storyteller like the people who create these comics, 
is you give inspiration, you give hope to others. Give them to think about how they can rise up and make a difference. So that is my analysis, my reviews of the Dark Knight trilogy and to some degree the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, we're already at one minute and one hour and 13 minutes, so this is kind of a long recording, I admit it. So I'll leave at that. And I pray this was good for you, and I hope it was good for you. Gave you some food for thought. And so with that, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. This is the Kiro Film Society. Uh, I am a pastor in Ida Grove, Iowa at St. Paul Lutheran Church. Um, if you happen to be in the area, you can attend services at 6 o'clock on Saturday and then 8 o'clock and 10.30 on Sunday. However, as a note, starting Father's Day, from Father's Day through Labor Day weekend, um, we will be having only 9 o'clock services on Sunday. Um, and then uh, if you do not live in the area, I encourage you to go on to www.lcms.org or www.issuesetc.org, or www.lutheranliturgy.org, and go on there, find a church tabs, and you should find a good church in your area. So with that, go in peace, and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.